Good morning, FCS football fans. Welcome to the FCS Opening Drive podcast presented by Football Game Plan and the Connecticut School of Broadcasting. I am David Hasshagen. With me, as always, the czar of the playbook, Emery Hunt. Emery, good morning. Good morning, sir. How's it going for you this fine November morning, our first show in November? First show in November. It is uh, quickly approaching playoff season, folks. We're going to talk a lot about what happened in the week that was. We're going to talk about the chaos that has occurred in four conferences, the Big South, the CAA, the OVC, and the SOCON. Well, of course, there's some other games of note. We have some big top 10 matchups that happened this week, some Hail Mary drama in the Ivy League that we will have to get to. Of course, our game balls, our top 25s, and our week 11 games that we will talk about. Folks, if you want to listen back on any of our previous podcasts, you can do that on SoundCloud or iTunes. Just search for Football Game Plan in the podcast section. Subscribe while you're there so you don't miss out on, on, on any of the Football Game Plan content of course if you want to follow us on twitter i am at david underscore hassigan at fball game plan from a man emery and don't forget you can go to footballgameplan.com for all of your football knowledge everything you would ever need about anything football related is on that website emery you got anything else you want to plug uh we have the go go offense the book that's out it's footballgameplan.com slash go go offense what's cool about it is that as i did the georgetown broadcast georgetown actually lined up in one of the go-go offenses formations uh, so it's always good to see it make its way around the the uh the, the world the, the football world and you can get your copy at footballgameplan.com slash go-go offense remember that's a book that's written by william and mary's offensive coordinator brendan marion who uh they ran up 500 plus yards of total offense this past weekend <laughs> that was a wild 300 game. yards on the ground so go get your copy today footballgameplan.com slash go-go offense and we also have a really good interview up on our SoundCloud page or on mm. iTunes with uh, defensive pass game coordinator and secondaries coach Cherokee Valeria of Sacramento State. Great interview. He's a great guy, great coach, and he's going to do big things not only this season and throughout with Sacramento State, but just in general in coaching because he has a great football mind. So you can hear that on iTunes or SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash podcast. I listened to that interview a couple days ago, and I've listened back on it twice because just the insight on the passing game defense that you just don't hear about. Because you, you know, you hear about from the head coaches, you hear their interviews, but it's the positional coaches that really do all the heavy lifting and the strategy and that sort of thing. And that's, it, it really came through in that interview. So I can't recommend to you folks enough to check that out. The theme of this podcast, folks, is respect. Respect earned, respect lost. Respect that expects to be given from one person to another, from one team to another. And quite frankly, there was a lot of respect earned all over the FCS ranks. And now the question is, what will the committee respect? We have the top 10. Their top 10 is coming out later this week. So keep an eye out for that. And the halftime, I believe, of the um, Miami of Ohio and Ohio game on ESPN at 8 p.m. The halftime of that game, the FCS selection committee will reveal what their top 10 is right now. And we'll see where their mind is and what has been a chaotic season uh, so far in the FCS. And we know that one thing will be constant. It'll be JMU and North Dakota State at the top. But other than that, no one has a clue. So let's get into the first game. And you mentioned Sacramento State. They have been the darlings of this year's uh, FCS season. Number six going into this game, a titanic showdown with number three, Weaver. Um, There was a lot of expectation on this game, a lot of question marks. How good is Sacramento State? They put up a solid performance, but Weber showed a different class that comes with experience in success uh, over the last couple of years. Uh, Weber State wins 36-17. What did you see in this ballgame? Weber State's defense really came ready to play. I thought they did a great job all game long and really curtailing what Sacramento State wants to do offensively. And it was, again, too much Josh Davis, a running back. That's their bread and butter run game defense, efficient in the passing game, just a complete team win for Weber State. Let's move on to the Ivy League real quick. And this was a a wild game. Dartmouth taking on Harvard. You wouldn't think it would be wild by the scoreline. 9-6 to Dartmouth. But it's the way the game ended uh, that was truly incredible. A Hail Mary, Eli Manning-esque pass from Dartmouth to get the win in the last seconds against Harvard in a game that Harvard should have won. Uh, Mike McCarthy, our producer, was at this game. He said... It's one of two things. Either Dartmouth isn't as good as advertised or Harvard's defense is that good. Which one do you think it was? I think all things can be true, but I think it was just a great defensive effort by Harvard um, and slowing down Dartmouth's offense. Dartmouth's defense is good, evident by the six points 
only given up True. by Harvard. So you can't knock Dartmouth's overall game and, and team. They're a legit 7-0. and It's just that this game, for whatever reason, Harvard came with a better game plan uh, defensively and really shut down Dartmouth until the very last play of the game. <laughs> just insane. And, and Harvard had the ball with less than a, two minutes to go inside the 10-yard line and didn't kick a field goal. What changes if they had? We will never know. Let's move into the Missouri Valley now. Another top 10 ranked matchup. Northern Iowa taking on Illinois State. The polls had Illinois State ahead going into this game. Number 7 to Northern Iowa's number 9. From what I had seen a couple weeks ago, I wasn't completely sold on Illinois State being that third team in the Missouri Valley. I thought it was a question mark, maybe 3 or 4. Question mark turned into a period in this one. Northern Iowa dominated this game 27-10. to 10. Huge win for the Panthers. They have solidified their spot probably in the playoffs with this win as the third team from the Missouri Valley. It's been a really good year for Northern Iowa considering what they lost last year both offensively and defensively. Yep. To come in this year, they're 6-3, 4-1 in conference play. And the biggest takeaway from this ball game was holding James Robinson to 39 yards yep. throughout the day rushing the football. So you stop Illinois State running the ball, you put a lot of pressure on Brady Davis in that passing game, and we saw that they couldn't answer the call. Just a great win for Northern Iowa. Three interceptions, and that's something I noted with Western Illinois. You know, they didn't get the win, but they slowed down Robinson enough to the point where they stayed in the ball game, and that seems to be the formula against Illinois State. Not saying that Illinois State's a bad team or that Robinson's a bad running back. He's still probably going to be a draft pick in 2020. It's more of an indictment on their passing game not yes. being able to carry the load even yes. if their run game gets stopped. Exactly. So that'll be something that we'll have to see if Illinois will – they will have to adjust if they're going to make a run in the postseason or – the way this year's going if they make the postseason. We'll keep that in mind. Uh, let's move now to the MEAC. Just when you think that we're getting a clearer picture of who's going to the Celebration Bowl and maybe a MEAC team making the playoffs, here comes A&T again. They get the job done against South Carolina State 22-20. to uh, The Aggies keep rolling along in this conference. They, the only team they've had any problems with is the team that's ineligible, probably. So now the question is... What does this do to the MEAC picture? Because now A&T has dropped South Carolina State. Yeah, and South Carolina State, this is going to be a, a very good team next year. They may even be my favorite to win the yeah. MEAC next year. Along, it may be a tie between them and FAMU, but they played hard in this ball game. It was just a you know, much better team yeah. that won and a much more balanced team because we know South Carolina State's run game of defense is what they hang their hats on. But A&T can run the ball with Jermaine Martin. But Khalil Carter did his thing throwing the football, yeah. and they had that balance, and that balance is what ultimately got them to win against the Bulldogs. Throwing the ball and running the ball, Khalil Carter was actually the re- leading rusher yeah. in this game as well. Um, and shout-out to A&T's defense, because South Carolina State got a quick touchdown and a field goal and still had 11 minutes or so to get one more score, get one more field goal, that's it. And A&T just completely shut them down in the fourth quarter after those two scores. Uh, so well done to the Aggies. Next game up on the schedule, we go to the Patriot League. Holy Cross taking on Lehigh. Again, the Patriot League is going to be a one-bid league again this year. Uh, might be a first-round exit for whoever goes, but this is going to decide who's going to the postseason more than likely, and Holy Cross gets the big win on the road 24-17. This is a huge win for this Holy Cross program, who you know traditionally has been a really good program for a long, long time. They might be looking back at going to the playoffs. Yeah, Holy Cross is done really well this year they've been the more consistent team uh this season out the patriot league i'm a big fan of dominic cozier the running back and he's a jitterbug he's a guy that you know he's a diminutive guy but he does a lot of damage both as a runner and a receiver and coach chesney has done a great job building off the momentum they had late last season when they reeled off a couple of victories one in particular that georgetown game where they came back from 31 to 5 and you saw all of this momentum carry itself into the season. Now, yeah, out of conference, they've struggled, but you just have to win your league to get the automatic bid. And right now they're 4-0, looking like the best team in the Patriots. And Holy Cross will be looking for their first league title in 10 years uh, if they can hold on. Let's stay in the Patriot League and talk about the game you were at, though. But the, I just wanted to follow up. They beat Lehigh, who had Tom Gilmore as their head coach, the former Holy Cross yep. head coach. So it's always good to get those wins against when you have something at stake, and bragging rights was at stake right there. So I know Coach Gilmore wanted to win that game, but his guys just wasn't as good consistently. 
throughout that day like we saw from Holy Cross. Absolutely. And let's stick with the Patriot League. As I said, you were at, on the call of the uh, Georgetown Colgate game uh, this past weekend. Georgetown still looking to just get that one more win to get to 500, you know, guarantee a 500 record. Colgate, we know how their season started. It was not good. It was dramatically bad. They started, what, 0-7? They've now won two of their last three, and they knock off Georgetown 24-14. Colgate, incredibly, is not out of this conversation yet for the Patriot League title. They're not, man. They they still have a chance, an outside chance. They need a lot of help, but... What I saw in that ball game was two good defenses. Now, Georgetown came into that game banged up. They were without Christian Tate, who is their best defensive player. Uh, they were out there starting tailback and Herman Moultrie, who's their best running back. Now, they got good production from the ground game, uh, but they did have two crucial fumbles in the second half. And both of those fumbles, one took away a possession where they were driving down the field. The second one ended up being points for Colgate, and that was the – uh, that made it 17-7, to and ultimately that was enough to win because both defenses really stepped up. Abu, uh, Abu Darame Soiree was excellent uh, as a total package player. He was the punt returner, had a big return. They used him on offense. He had a touchdown run. And then on defense, um, when he's able to keep the receiver in front of him, he's making plays. But when they were able to get past him, they had some big plays downfield, but I thought overall, playing both sides of the ball, he had a really good day. I, I would agree with that one. It was certainly an entertaining game, and hopefully Georgetown can get at least one win. I think everybody would like to see them at least get to 500. It's been way too long for them. Um, but I was also out on assignment this week uh, in the CAA, taking in Albany hosting UMaine. Uh, actually, it should be UAlbany, not uh, just Albany. It's UAlbany. Um, really entertaining ball game between two freshman quarterbacks in this one. Um, Fagnano for Maine and Undercuffler, who's gotten a lot of headlines for Albany. Uh, a lot of history made in this game. You had Undercuffler setting the single-season touchdown passing record for Albany. You had um, Green, who had the now has the all-time record for most touchdowns in the season for Albany, and as well as a new sack record that was set in this game, uh, all pretty much in the first quarter. Um, really even contest in this one, 21, uh, 24-21 Maine at the half. Uh, and then Maine just poured it on, took advantage of some mistakes. Albany did make a lot of mistakes, a lot of freshman mis- mistakes uh, during this game that Maine took advantage of. Um, under Cuffler is going to turn into a very, very good quarterback in these next couple of years. Had some fantastic throws. Maine did provide a lot of pressure off the edge, which he had a little bit of trouble with uh, and, and had a couple of issues. But overall, Albany and Maine, both of these teams have a lot of potential going forward here at the quarterback position and in general moving forward. I want to ask you, now that you've seen live, you've been to a Missouri Valley game. Yep. You've been to a CAA game. Oh, you're going to do this to me. Well, I just want to, I just, <laughs> I just want to know your, your thoughts as someone that has now been exposed to two conferences. What are some of the similarities? What are some of the differences, if there is any, on, on both ends in, in terms of the top style and you saw two conference games so uh what have you seen from both conferences because both conferences always want to lay claim to the SES, the sec of the fcs absolutely i I think the the similarities for sure is what we always talk about to have a successful program that's offensive line front seven you know offensive and defensive line for in both of these games for all four of the teams were outstanding and that's what has put them above the top is that recruiting in that area. I think when you look at the CAA, it's a little bit a little bit more explosive offensively. I think the athletes on the outside are a little bit better, whereas Missouri Valley is a little bit more balanced. It's more in the trenches. It's more running game. Um, but it's very, very tight to, to decide between, you know, okay, which two teams, you know, you know, which conference is the best in terms of overall ability. I think with the Missouri Valley, if you know, obviously they've got some great athletes there as well. If I had seen South Dakota State, perhaps, or obviously you know, if took in a Bison game or something like that, you know, it might be a little bit different. But I think the CAA is a little bit more entertaining. The quality is still good in both conferences, extremely good. But I think it's just a little bit higher paced, a little bit more fast in the CAA at this point, which we've kind of said all year. The CAA is probably the stronger conference. You also saw the Ivy League. Uh, play as well. You saw it last year. Right. You took in a couple games, Ivy League wise. So, in comparison, because you know that's the talk, uh, you know, the Ivy League doesn't play anybody, they don't compete in the playoffs. 
people always have that right. that ill-formed narrative about the level of play, despite what we always talked about when we were out there at the Princeton-Columbia game last year. Yeah. We are watching three NFL players uh, in, on Princeton's offense. Yeah. And so, in comparison, can you explain to people what have you seen in the Ivy League that is – maybe the same or different than what you're seeing in the CAA in Missouri Valley? I think with like with the Ivy League, there is certainly the quality there. It may not be a total depth of quality because, as we as you said, there were three NFL players that are legitimate NFL players. They're on NFL rosters right now. Right now that were on this offense last year. Um, two years ago, the Ivy League had the most NFL players on rosters on the opening day of any FCS conference. So there's 24. no doubt that the talent the talent is absolutely there like it is across all of FCS we say it all the time every conference is equal in terms of producing professional level talent i think it's just the depth of that talent that's maybe why the ivy league is behind a little bit i think the ivy, i think last year's princeton team and last year's dartmouth team could easily at least stand up in the playoffs and it and that's the frustrating thing that we've always talked about is that they we don't know right but i think we could both agree that at least princeton would have gotten to at least into the second round if they had gotten into the postseason with last year's team this year not so much well absolutely because i think about it we've seen we talked about this last episode we saw a pioneer league team in san diego win consistently i think it's three years in a row they've won a playoff game there you go so again it's not uncommon and yeah those teams were built differently i think what where you see the difference and you and this could be FBS rated as well as FCS rated or even division 2 you can go down the line yeah it's always in the trenches and so the Ivy League I think can they they have some pieces on the offensive and defensive line the problem is like you talked about the depth of it right so you go to the CAA you're going to have depth of talent up front you may have five legitimate uh FCS borderline FBS caliber offensive lineman. Yeah. Ivy League you may have two. Right. You know, exactly. So it's, and on defense, it's a different animal. Defense, you look at Colin Saunders, who was in the Missouri Valley Conference, who was a tremendous athlete doing backflips at six two, three hundred and twenty five pounds. Who just got his first sack the other day. Got league, his first sack, exactly, and he's playing with the Kansas City Chiefs. You talk about Kyle Emanuel, who just retired this year from North Dakota State, was a tremendous edge rusher. Um, and you talk about Nick DeLuca, who got drafted by the XFL. So point of attack play, front seven play, Missouri Valley, you see that consistently because right. of how they play. They play more of a run game. Uh, right. And so you got to be able to stop the run. you got to be able to run the ball. So that's why you're seeing the James Robinsons, uh, all those offensive linemen that come out of that program. Uh, you know, Southern Illinois does a great job up front yep. as well. Yep. Uh, so I just wanted to get your take because, you know, I, I know what goes on. Right. As the analyst, but you, as you know, the the um, the reporter or correspondent, you're seeing it for the first time, and you're. I just want to know from your perspective what you saw, and I, I think you're you're right on par with what what the the reality is. Exactly, and 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 again, there's talent. The SoCon this year is as dynamic as any conference in college football. SoCon reminds me so much of the Sun Belt Conference, like, and, and that's not a knock because I think the Sun Belt Conference is it's SEC light. Exactly, it's hella competitive, <laughs> top to bottom. You know, so. Yeah. I like the SoCon. So it, it'll be interesting to see how this goes forward. And again, with the top 10 selection, we'll see what the committee is valuing this year. You know, Because we saw this last year with the Missouri Valley, is that there were so many good teams that they all beat up on each other. And there were only three teams that got in. Meanwhile, the CAA, who obviously still a lot of talented teams, but maybe not as deep as the Missouri Valley, got six. So the question is now, how does that go through this year a couple other scores to talk about here you mentioned uh william and mary they beat elon 31 29 in five overtimes this week a ridiculous game southern illinois wins again 23 14 over indiana state western illinois get their first win of the season knock off south dakota 38 to 34 san diego 49 7 over drake looks like the pioneer league crown will be going back to southern california and southern knocks off Alabama A&M 35-31 in a good one in the SWAC. Emery, who do you have for your game balls for this week? Game balls for this week. Offensively, let's start with – I got a lot. So, <laughs> offensively, let's start with Kenji Bahada, quarterback at Monmouth. 20 of 27, 332 yards, a touchdown pass, six carries, 92 yards rushing with a 65-yard touchdown run and a touch, you know that touchdown. So, he outran Pete Guerrero this week, which is <laughs> – 
<laughs> That's going to be talked about That's, all the right. entire flight home. Uh, right, exactly. So uh, <laughs> shout out to Kenji Bahar doing a great job showing that dual threat capability because I think a lot of people don't give him credit for the type of athlete he is. And Monmouth was able to get a statement win against Kennesaw State. This was a game that they had earmarked since the spring. We were at Media Day in August. This is all they talked about. Broken record. They went out there and laid three years of frustration out on Kennesaw State. So on the road, credit to them going into the hostile environment against a top 10 team and getting the win. So that's one offensive player of the week I give a game ball to. My first game ball is going to go to Cam Humphrey, the backup quarterback from the University of Montana who had to step up and get the start this week. 21 of 28, 335, and four touchdowns. Not bad for a backup uh, as they got a big win over Portland State. Pretty much knocks the Vikings out of playoff contention if they not weren't there already. But a nice win for Montana and a nice game for Cam Humphrey coming off the bench. Wide receiver Masaki Ertz of Dartmouth. Yeah. You caught the game-winning touchdown. That was insane. <laughs> so. If you haven't seen the play, folks, it's all over the internet. It's all over SportsCenter. It's all over ESPN. Eli Manning, eat your heart out on that final play. I'm about play. to say, shout out to the QB getting away from pressure. And Four guys. <laughs> right. And then having a wherewithal to get it downfield deep enough to where Masaki Ertz could make the, the uh, touchdown reception. I'm going to go now to my um, my defensive player of the week, and that is Evan Horn, the safety from UNH. We have the same guy. Two interceptions in their win this week. New Hampshire quietly is climbing the CAA ladder. And we know anything about what the selection committee might do. You get a good enough record in the CAA, it might be good enough. But a good game for Evan Horn, two interceptions, big win for UNH. And he also had a key punt return, too, 27 yards or so. He had a really good day on both ends, special teams as well as defense. So speaking of special teams, UT Martin's Terry Williams had the 65-yard punt return that gave them the lead for good in a very tight win against Jacksonville State, 22-17. His touchdown gave – it was a go-ahead touchdown – and they were able to hold on defensively to close out that game. So Terry Williams with a big punt return touchdown helped seal the deal for the Skyhawks. I'm going to go to my next one here, my all-around player of the game, and this is uh, goes to Maine's tight end, Ori Jean-Charles, who had two very different types of touchdowns this past <laughs> week because his first one, again, remember his position, tight end. His first touchdown was a 47-yard pick six. Nice. They threw him on defense at outside linebacker, picks off a pass and takes it to the house, and then later in the same quarter, in fact, the next possession – he gets a receiving touchdown from two yards out. When's the last time that's happened for a pick six and a receiving touchdown from a tight end? Well, and this is what this wasn't on the script, but since you brought up tight ends, Nick Diaco of Colgate, it was fourth and one, and Colgate needed to convert this first down to, to help put them in position to score. They took Brenneman and put him out wide, put Nick Diaco at quarterback. <laughs> now, here's at, in the Wildcat formation. So he's, you know, 6'4", 235. And not only did he get the first, but he ran about 15, 17 yards for the touchdown run. And he kept doing it later on in the game. Like, okay, we'll put Diaco there. They were getting their tight ends involved in the run game and their wide receivers involved in the run game. So it was impressive to see, and Nick Diaco did a great job. But another special teams player of the game, it goes to the entire McNeese State special teams because Bailey Rayborn had went three for three of his field goals. Yep. They needed that. They needed that 96-yard kickoff return touchdown by DeAndre Hicks. So special teams legitimately helped them come back against Northwestern State and get the win. I got two more to give out here. First, I'm going to go to uh, Jake Chisholm, the running back from Dayton. 35 carries for 268 and two scores in a big win over Moorhead State, uh, 49-35 in that one. So that's a workmanlike performance there at the running back position. But as you always know, I like to find a kicker or a punter. And punters are people too. Jared Padmas, the punter from Montana State, had Four punts in what was a blowout win, 42-7. to seven. But when you average 53.8 yards a punt, Jeez. that's called a weapon that's in, special the field position. in special teams. Blame it on the on the mountain air. Blame it on all you want to blame it on, but that is an incredible Check those stat. Footballs. So <laughs> Jared Padmas, maybe they hired the guy from the New England Patriots. I'm not sure. No, but. you got to put helium in those balls <laughs> to make them go high. Exactly, but you need, you need an air specialist. <laughs> you need an air specialist. So Jared Padmas. Uh, definitely a weapon for Montana State in their win this week. Um, and, so, shout out to him. And finally, uh, for me, it's always the shutouts. Yep. Two, one in the MEAC, one in the SWAC. Norfolk State shout out Morgan State, 48 to nothing, uh, which sets the table for a very interesting game that I'll be on the, the broadcast for next week. Yep. Morgan State at A&T, uh, versus A&T. Uh, and Alabama State shout out Valley. And this was a strong chokehold shutout. 
27 to nothing. Valley was competitive throughout the game, but just yep. couldn't get enough offense to score. So two goose eggs in the FCS this week. Let's get into our top 25s. And again, folks, this is the week 11 preview here on the FCS Opening Drive podcast. Now we're into the last three weeks of the season. There's three weeks left. That's kind of hard to believe. But now the top 25s, again, how much do these rankings play in the minds of the committee? We'll find that out on Wednesday. As for my top 25, not too much of a change in the top five. North Dakota State, JMU, Weber stays at three, South Dakota State at four. Montana moves up to number five. That's where I had Sacramento State last week. I think we have the same top five. North Dakota State, James Madison. I didn't forget South Dakota State this week. They're number three. (laughs) (laughs) Weber State, number four, and Montana, number five. I got no problem with there. My six through ten. Northern Iowa moves to number six. Sacramento State still in at seven. They have an impressive resume. Montana State moves into number eight with their big win this week. Central Arkansas is at nine. North Carolina A&T at number 10. Yeah, we got differences right there. (laughs) Six through 10 for me, I got Furman at six. I'm a big Furman fan. Again, run the ball, defense, they got it all. Northern Iowa, I I just like how they're playing right now. Solid team. Solid team. And, you know, one of those teams that you can see winning a game or two in the playoffs. They're number seven. Central Arkansas, I just enjoy watching uh, their QB go out there and just throw the football all over the yard. It's hard to not have him as your game, your player of the week. Uh, every week because he's tremendous. <laughs> yeah. He's consistent. So Central Arkansas at number eight. Sacramento State, I dropped him down to nine. And number 10, holding strong, Central Connecticut State. Very Jeez. good, solid football team. Central Connecticut State at 10. My goodness. Um, my 11 through 15, Illinois State drops down to number 11. I had them at number seven last week. Simo moves up to number 12 after an impressive victory in conference. Towson at 13. Wofford now at 14. Villanova loses for the second consecutive week they're down to 15 for me you know it's interesting we both have southeast missouri state at number 12 dartmouth is at 11 okay i think you can't hold this against dartmouth their close win against harvard who's really good this year but you you have to understand they have a good defense they held harvard to six yeah um so they're still 11 for me plus they're undefeated southeast missouri state at 12 a and t at 13 um new hampshire at 14 monmouth at 15 my 16 through 20, I've got Citadel still at number 16. I think they got you know a, a bit of a scare this week. We'll talk about that in just a second. Dartmouth at 17. We're not too far away on where we're ranking them. Furman at 18. Why are they at 18? Because they lost to the Citadel. That's why they're down where they are. Uh, Florida A&M at 19. Another win this week. They're still undefeated. Why couldn't they be eligible? And Nichols comes in at number 20. 16 to 20 for me. I have 16. UT Martin. Yep. It's a round robin right now in, in the OVC, and I think UT Martin has proven that they are right now a little bit more consistent than everybody else. Seventeen, I have Montana State. You know, wow, I, that low. I like Montana State, wow. but those ugly losses just just stick to me. Um, Kennesaw State, I dropped them down to eighteen. Okay, Princeton, I have at nineteen. I watched the game against uh, Cornell, and it was more. I felt like they slept walk through that ball game. Credit okay. Cornell's defense. It was a Friday night game. Um, I get it. They were up for it. But Princeton's defense definitely forced some turnovers, did a good job. Offensively, it took them a while to get going. So Princeton right now is at 19, number 20, a team that no one is talking about in the FCS. Alcorn State consistently run game, defense. Yep. Their passing game has stepped up a notch this year, so they have balance. They're a steamrolling toward the Celebration Bowl. My last five, let the controversy commence. Still have UC Davis at 21, but they've dropped... You are high. But they have dropped precipitously. And if they do not impressively win next week, they're out. Stop giving them chances. they They are the biggest team on my bubble right now. And quite frankly, they will have to win out in order to have any shot whatsoever. Uh, 22, UT Martin. Continuing, continuing to impress. They, in fact, not only knocked off Jacksonville State, they knocked them out of my top 25. I don't think Jacksonville State is a playoff team right now with the losses they have suffered. But you still have UC Davis at the top. For now. For now. (laughs) UT Martin at 22. Central Connecticut State at 23. I want to see what happens now that the uh, the last three weeks, they've got the big boys in their conference coming up, especially Duke Kane. Robert Morris still, you know, still hanging around there. They won again this week, so we'll keep an eye on that. But I want to see Central Connecticut State play against one of the better teams in the conference. That's why I'm keeping them down at 23. Austin P moves in at number 24. I like that. Another solid win. Knocked off Eastern Kentucky. We'll talk about that one in just a second. And number 25, 
as you do with Florida A&M, because they are undefeated, Princeton gets the number 25 spot. I don't think, I have no idea who is putting Princeton in the top 15. I don't think either of us really believe they should be there. Because from what we have seen in terms of you know how they've played, they have been undefeated. Their defense is certainly, I think, better than last year. Yeah, I agree. Offensively, they've taken a step back. I don't think they're better than Dartmouth, although we'll find that we'll out. We'll find it out, right. Later on this week. So for me, though, Princeton, they are, they are undefeated. They get the 25 spot because of that. Yeah, yeah, I respect that Princeton, uh, uh, you know, comment about how you know you you, you could tell the difference because we've seen Princeton at their we've seen the we ten- saw them at their peak last exactly. year exactly, and now it's like it's tough to compare last year's team to this year's team because coaches always tell you it's a new year, new team, yeah. new dynamics. I get it, but they're still again defensively they're solid. They're very good defensively. They turn yeah. the ball over, and you know, I'm a big Colinetti fan, the running right. back. So my last five. 21 North Dakota. Okay. Yeah. They benefit from the bye. So they get back into the, the mix. Yep. 22 Illinois State. I almost dropped them out. I almost replaced them with Austin P. Okay. But I, I just like how Illinois State played in some games earlier in the year. Yep. Okay. Give them some credit. Wofford. Surprised it wasn't in your. No, Wofford's in mine. Okay. 14. 14. Okay. So they're 23 for me. Uh, I'm not holding the, the loss against Clemson. No, against absolutely the, uh, not. Uh, uh, just, absolutely yeah. not. 24, San Diego. I wanted to get a Pioneer team in there <laughs> because San Diego, again, they have rubbed off, what, seven or eight straight games? You yeah, know, they're on after the seven a really game. rough, really, really rough start of the San season. San Diego right now, coming out the Pioneer League, is on an eight-game winning streak. They're a 5-0 in conference. And have dominated those games. A six-game winning streak, I'm sorry. So they're 6-2. and two. They're playing great defense in their offense. Hasn't missed a beat without Anthony Lawrence this year. They still have Bandy. They, they have a bunch of weapons out there. Yep. New quarterback in place, but they still been good. And 25 is, you know, Florida A&M. Right. I could have put Austin P there, but Florida A&M has just continued to win impressively. Yeah. And so I'm treating them like the Auburn team of 1994 where they went undefeated, but they were ineligible for a bowl game or even a national title. But people had them ranked, like, high. But – you you're wasting a spot with them high if they can't win anything. Right. So that's why I'm holding FAMU at 25. Very good team. They're going to be even better next year, which is scary to think. I wonder what if uh, Ryan Stanley might have some pro prospects. You know, pro that whole team, I'm yeah. telling you, there's a couple of guys uh, on that team that that will be playing bonus football, whether NFL, bowl CFL, game. XFL. Or bowl games, too. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Bowl games yeah. Matter of fact, there's the FCS Bowl that's taking place um, – in December, from December sixth through the ninth, I'll be the color analyst for that game. And the invites have been have been started. Start, yeah, sent, start, out. sent yeah. out. So I'm pretty sure you'll see a couple of fam. You guys, considering that they have, they're going to be free. Yeah, they, they don't have to worry about bowl game or playoff. Yeah. So there you go. You notice who was missing out of my top twenty five? By the way, who? Well, I mentioned Jacksonville State. Stony Brook was twenty five. They lost this week, so I dropped them out. No Kennesaw. Oh, I didn't even notice. From the top 10, and I rarely do this, top 10 to out. That is a hot take, David. Because here's why. Their strength of schedule is 122 out of, I believe, 125. That's that's not good. So my, my thought process with them this whole year was, if they continue to win out, they will stay in my rankings. They were impressive last year. They knocked off, you know, they won a playoff game. They knocked off the SoCon champion in the playoffs in Wofford. If they continue to win and win convincingly, I will keep them ranked. If they win out, with the exception of Kent State FBS team, who they almost beat, by the way. Quietly. I've dropped them a couple times, a couple spots, because of unconvincing losses this year. They got absolutely smacked by the one team that they couldn't get smacked by. And so... You dropped them all the way out the rankings. I, I would be shocked if they're in the top 20 when the poll comes out in a couple hours since we're recording this in the morning. I'd be shocked if they're there. Speaking of the Big South, Emery, let's get into the main heart of this podcast and let's talk about Shakedown Saturday. It wasn't Shake Up Saturday. It was Shakedown because some of these teams found their way out of the playoff picture this week. And we're going to start with the Big South. Obviously, all eyes, this was the FCS Stats Game of the Week. And it turned out to be a pretty good prophecy on this one. Monmouth destroying Kennesaw, 45-21, had a huge second quarter, 28 points in the second quarter to just absolutely, I was watching this game, and I'm like, 
that's got to be a misprint. There's no way <laughs> Mama's winning by that much. Now, they win 45-21, exposing Kennesaw State for maybe that week's schedule and the performance that they've had. That, on its own, would have been enough to shake up the Big South. But then, North Alabama comes along and knocks off Campbell. 25-24. Campbell came in with one loss in the conference. A last-second field goal from North Alabama knocks off the Camels. So all of a sudden, a conference that looked like it was Kennesaw's to lose is now firmly in the hands of Monmouth. How do we see the rest of this season shaking out now? Because the big game has now passed. Yeah, here's the thing. You saw Monmouth take control of the conference, but you also saw Campbell lose a game to North Alabama. But it doesn't count for conference standings. So Campbell is still it's undefeated. Just, it's and one of the things where it's like, why is this more complicated than it is? So now if you're if you're Monmouth, you just can't, you know, get that Big South Conference champ banner hanging in the, the rafters. Yeah. If you're Kennesaw, you're more worried about Campbell, in my opinion, than anything. Because yeah. Campbell has a better schedule than you do. And if all things are equal, if they just run the table, y'all finish with the same record, Campbell will get more looks in the playoffs as opposed to you. So it could be a two-team bid league, in my opinion, because Campbell has some good wins, um, and they have a chance to get a few more. Now, they have a a one non-Division one win on their schedule, uh, which could make things tough. So it all depends on how the last couple games go for both Campbell and Monmouth to really make a case for two teams. But I think Kennesaw, you know, because of how they lost to Monmouth and because of their strength of schedule, that one loss may be enough to keep them out of the playoffs. Yeah, and and the thing with Monmouth is interesting because their next game, which I believe we're both uh, I'm going to be at next week, is against North Alabama. Mm-hmm. So again, this is a team that just knocked the, off the team that's right next to you in the in the conference standings, but it doesn't count if you lose. So where this would be a trap game because they're at Campbell in two weeks, it's not a really a trap game because you can afford to lose it. It's a really weird scenario there, but I don't think I, I agree with you, though. I think I think it's going to be a one-bid league at this point. It's going to come down to Monmouth and Campbell in two weeks. Whoever wins that ball game goes to the playoffs. If Monmouth's not up for that game, I'd be really, really surprised. But we also saw that everything in the preseason was focused on Kennesaw and winning this ball game, and they did that. Let's move now to the CAA. We mentioned in the CAA a couple weeks ago that you could make an argument for probably seven to nine teams for the CAA if they go on a run to make the postseason. Well, there were some very, very telling results here uh, this past week. Towson knocks off Delaware 31-24. That pretty much means that's curtains pretty much for the Blue Hens. They're done. Any hope they had left. Um, Maine knocks off Albany, who last week was second in the CAA. They're still fourth with a 3-2 and two record in conference, but now they're 5-4. and four. So now they're in question. Richmond knocks off Stony Brook. Stony Brook has been ranked several weeks this this year in the FCS stats poll. They lose again, and all of a sudden Richmond now is four and one in conference play with a five and four record. Where does that put them? And now Villanova, who looked like they were the only team outside of JMU to be a sure thing, have lost two in a row and they lose to UNH. Yeah. So what is the state of play in the CAA right now? It, it, I mean, you could pretty much draw the line right now from Villanova on down or under Villanova on down okay. if you're looking at you know the standing. So you're completely counting out Towson and Stony Brook at this point? You can Stony Brook has those two losses um, recently you know. True. And they're two and three in conference play. I think you have to just focus on right now who has a winning conference record and who has a winning record overall. A lot of the teams do. Stony Brook has one. Towson has one. Um but do you really consider those teams the playoff teams right now? Villanova is in a free fall. They lost two games or three games uh, in a row, and all three were in conference. Yeah. So now you open the door for Albany, but we don't know how consistent Albany can be. Maybe they just ran up against what I think. An, I think it was an inspired main team that I saw like, right on Saturday. And, and so now Richmond has put themselves in a conversation of a team that. Hey, they're probably, uh, you know, I don't want to say a shoe in, but they've gone from pen, uh, pencil to pen as far as writing their names in the at large mix. 
Yeah. You know, because of how they played. I think New Hampshire is a team that is going to make some waves to get into the playoffs. Yep. James Madison is they're the, in. They're yeah, they're, they're auto <laughs> they're the auto bid. They're in. Um but you always look at who's playing good defense. New Hampshire, Richmond is playing good defense. Uh Villanova's defense is going to get better. I think their defense is a lot better. Their offense took a hit a little bit, but um yeah, you I guess you can can include Stoney and and Towson, but I you know I think it's a three-team race right now Okay. with two teams fighting for that last spot. And to me, that's Richmond and Albany. I think Villanova is still in the mix. But so you think have, UNH is in? I think so. Because I think what's interesting about when you look at UNH and Richmond's losses, they're very similar. You have losses for UNH to Delaware, who we now know is not as good as they were projected to be, and Holy Cross. Patriot League, not great. But Granted, Patriot Holy could be, Cross is better. Say, could be Patriot League champs. But then you look at Richmond. Lost to Boston College. Okay, whatever. Lost to Elon. Conference game. Sure. They've lost to Yale and Fordham. So all, you got both of those teams with some really, really, really ugly losses on their schedule. You look at... See, this is why I think Towson is still very much alive. Their last three games, a wounded Stony Brook. Then they've got William & Mary. And then they have Elon. Those are three winnable games for Towson. So if they run the table, they finish eight and four. So and then they would also have a five and three in conference record. I think they've got the easiest road left to go. Elon's four and five. You know they've you know lost to UNH. They lost to William and Mary this week. That pretty much did them in. They only got two games left. Uh, Villanova, three losses in a row. If they lose to Richmond this week, that's the that's they, a play out game. They right might there. be done. They might be done because what people are, um, what people are missing out on, and a couple of things that are causing, that could cause a confusion, cause confusion for a lot of these teams. We talked about Campbell, yeah, but North Dakota, yeah, you know, yeah, they're making a push for an at-large bid, which could keep a lot of these conferences from getting that extra team in against arguably the deepest conference this year in the Big Sky. Bingo. And here's the thing too with Albany though. Albany, if they win out, I think get themselves in because this is their remaining schedule. They got Delaware this week, which mm-hmm. should be a winnable game, but then they finish with New Hampshire and Stony Brook. Those are two teams. You got two games in a row with teams on the bubble, right? And but the two teams on the bubble, well, two two name teams. Yeah. So you, you so know, Albany wins the last three. Recency bias. You say, oh wow, they beat Villanova. They beat not, you know, taking into account how these teams are playing at the moment. Yeah. But the name brand teams, if you get those wins, that looks that sounds a lot better. It's like, wow, that team has to be in. And, we, and we've seen that in the CAA before. And I hate to hate on UNH, but the only reason they got into the playoffs three years ago was because they were UNH and not Austin P. That's, I mean, it, it's hard to say that, but that's probably what, or McNeese for that matter, who had nine wins. Yeah, that was more egregious. That well, was more both egregious. were egregious. Uh, both were really egregious, but the McNeese one was egregious because of how people viewed the Southland Conference. Right, exactly. Let's move on to our next Conference of Chaos, and that is the OVC. It sounds like a new ride at Disneyland, by the way. Conference Conferences of, of Chaos. Chaos. I like sounds, that. Sounds interesting. SEMO got their win, which they were supposed to do. They knocked off Tennessee State 32-13. So SEMO, for me, regardless of what happens, I think is in the postseason at this point. They're a ranked team out of the OVC. They've looked solid all the way along. But here's the thing. Austin P knocks off Eastern Kentucky in a really good ball game in overtime, 28-21. And then UT Martin is for real. Who would have thought that would be the, the discussion with three weeks left to go? UT Martin knocks off Jacksonville State. Is Jacksonville State for you, do they have any chance of being a postseason team right now? Because I don't think they are. They always have a chance because of the name brand. You know, they're one but of But they the- got four losses, though. We've seen teams with five losses get into the playoffs, six and five. And they've didn't lost Western to, Illinois get in that six and five recently? They get, yeah, but here's the thing though: they've lost the three teams that are going to finish above them. They lost Austin P, Semo, and UT Martin. Right, so it's tough. But if things start to collapse for those teams at the top, and now we have a, a mosh pit of teams that have similar records, people will probably ignore who they lost to. But I do agree that Jacksonville State is probably on the outside looking at. Yeah. I thought Eastern Kentucky had an opportunity this weekend, this past weekend, to create chaos. They lost a close one. Yeah. That's a very good football team. Uh, but they are still three and two in conference play. So they they lose to Austin P, 
who had to fight hard to get that win. Right. So now that I think draws a line underneath Simo, uh, Austin P, and UT Martin. Yeah. If you are a Simo, you're looking pretty good right now. UT UT Martin is looking pretty good right now uh, because they play good defense. Austin P's offense is going to be excellent the rest of the way. Right. Javon Craig at QB, how they run the football, and they are opportunistic defensively. Because of what we're seeing in the CAA, yep. in conjunction with what we're seeing with North Dakota, if things you know continue to go for them positively, yep. I can see three teams getting out of the OVC. Because right now, I think it's I think Missouri Valley is a three-bid league. Mm-hmm. For me, I think it's the North Dakota State, South Dakota State, and Northern Iowa. Illinois State is a question mark, right? What about ter- Southern Illinois? You talked about in, them. In, in terms of guaranteed spots. Oh, guaranteed, okay, gar- right. guaranteed spots. So right now, I think there's three guaranteed out of the Valley. Probably three, maybe four guaranteed out of the CAA. That's much lower than what we're used to seeing out of those two conferences. I think three out of the CAA. I think four out of the Big Sky right now. I think Montana State with that win, that's a statement win this past week. So OVC, though, the opening is there. The opening is very much there, which leads us to the most chaotic conference of all, and that is the SOCON. Because can we figure this one out for the <laughs> life of us? VMI loses to Western Carolina. How? Citadel had to get up 14 points in the fourth quarter to barely edge past East Tennessee State. But credit to them, you know, option offense coming from behind, very difficult to do with that kind of offense and ball control. Fair enough. Furman knocks off Chattanooga. That pretty much, I think, means the end for the mocks at this point. But quietly, Mercer knocks off Samford. Two teams that are going to be flying the ointments for the rest of the way. Very going much in. flying the ointments the rest of the way. So the SOCOM, which has been arguably one of the strongest conferences all year how many bids are they at right now because it's a question mark i think two you think it's only two i think it's only two because here's why wofford and the citadel are going to be one is going to be in one is going to be out and what helps the citadel's (sighs) case is georgia tech right exactly and they have a top 10 win against Furman, who is probably going to win the socon title anyway so you've got that on their resume as well and wofford has to play Furman. Right. Wofford lose to Furman. Wofford's got a tough stretch run. Exactly. So if Wofford lose to Furman, then, you know, if everybody else wins out, the Citadel will be in with Furman. So I think it's going to come down to Wofford or Furman. And uh, I'm sorry, Wofford or the Citadel. And the Citadel has a better resume. Yeah. Because of that Georgia Tech win, because of that Furman win. Um, So, and if you're the Citadel, you're looking at the whole picture thinking like, okay, well, a lot of our wins are in a row. You know, yeah, we had the ugly loss of VMI. Yeah. We lost to Elon. We lost to Towson. You know, those are some losses now that look bad because yeah. those teams are not as good. However, you have the Georgia Tech win. You have the win against Furman. Uh, you have the win against a solid Mercer team. Yeah. But you do have two big games. Chattanooga. Who you can't sleep on because there's no easy game in the SoCon. Bingo. And essentially your play-in game, Wofford. And that's what the, the crazy thing about this is VMI, because if you look at their wins, they've got wins against Citadel and Sanford, which they probably shouldn't have had. They played Wofford tough. If they had knocked off either Mercer or Western Carolina the last two weeks, they have Furman coming up this week, who if they, had won, if they win this game, they win either one of those two, they're in great shape. But VMI, I mean, they're much improved. we got to give them that. And shout-out to their quarterback, Yudinski, who... Uh, finally got picked off this week he went 369 pass attempts this season without an interception which is just incredible but they've kind of played their way out of this as for Wofford Furman and Citadel the last two weeks but they got Mercer this week and you know that Mercer Bears program is going to be up for that game just to spoil everybody's party so the question now is I see here's the thing you can make the argument now because we talked about you know two to three teams from the OVC and two to three teams from the SOCON. Now the question is, which of those conferences is stronger? And I think the argument goes to the SOCON in this case. So I think it could be three teams out of the SOCON and two out of the OVC. That's where I'm at on this at this point. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see, man, because what also can play a role in this, the MIAC. Yeah, MIAC could get a team in now. They could steal a, a bid. So there are some ancillary things that these teams in these conferences that we're talking about have to worry about. They need, you know, the Bethune Cookmans to lose. They need North Dakota to go on a losing streak. <laughs> yeah. They need that to, they need Campbell to drop the ball and lose some more. They need the the path to get cleared up a little bit 
so maybe they can get that third team or fourth team in like you're talking about. And North Dakota is the ultimate, wait, what the hell team out of this? Because here's the thing. Knocked off Sam Houston State, ranked team. Knocked off UC Davis, ranked team. Knocked off Montana State, ranked team. Who do they have this week? Weber. If they knock off Weber, that's four. Not only do they go to six and three, that's four ranked wins. Which I think if they win this game, I think they've gotten their spot locked up. As crazy as that sounds. So, North Dakota is the ultimate get out of here, this isn't your party. Oh, wait, no, they're kicking down the door. Uh, So that's going to be interesting to see what happens there. Let's get into some of the Week 11 games, and now we're getting into the games that will be super telling, not just for, you know, not no longer for how good these teams are, but where things are going. Kennesaw at Campbell this week. Huge game for Kennesaw. If they want to have any hope of making the postseason, they need to win this game and win it convincingly. Huge game for Campbell. And a massive game for Campbell, too. <laughs> um, Towson at Stony. That's a playout game. Whoever loses is done. UNH at JMU. That's going to be an interesting one to see how strong UNH really is against James Madison. And we've seen this story before where last year it was Maine. Oh, here comes Maine. This is going to be cute. Good test for Maine to see where they are, but they're not going to knock off. Wait, they just knocked off the Dukes? And they won the CAA title. Does UNH pull the shock in Harrisonburg? Duquesne at Robert Morris. One of the first of the first of three massive games in the NEC. If Robert Morris wins this game, I'm done. <laughs> they nearly Morris, lost that game to LIU. I know. LIU was hanging tough. Shout out to the Sharks, man. I, I know. Like if, but if Robert Morris wins this game, I'm done. I'm done predicting anything in the <laughs> NEC. San Diego at Stetson. Win for San Diego clinches the Pioneer League berth that could be the first ticket punch but Stetson might be the one team that gives them the most trouble Chattanooga Samford you could argue that maybe those two teams have an outside 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 shot like they're not outside the house they're outside the yard and they're outside of the county right across the street <laughs> but, but that could be an interesting one Furman taking on VMI if VMI knocks off Furman everybody's up for grabs now in the yeah. SoCon and then Alcorn Grambling potential huge Grambling preview game quietly there. has won four or five straight games i believe yep uh, so they've they've ripped off a lot of big wins and Alcorn, uh, right now man no one talks about coach fred mcnair as 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 the coach of the year candidate but i think he does a phenomenal job yeah you know Grambling's won four straight games and which if you know n- not if they win against Alcorn, but them getting back in the mix just makes the Bayou Classic that much more interesting. Yes. Let's go into the trap games. i got four trap games to look out for. Monmouth hosting North Alabama. We just saw what North Alabama did to Campbell. Can't sleep on this one, especially coming off a high of beating Kennesaw, and then you have Campbell next week. Um, SEMO is at home with Eastern Kentucky. That's a big game. Oh, Eastern Kentucky's done. They're out of the water. They can still ruin the party for everybody else. Speaking of which, Abilene Christian hosting Sam Houston State. Southland really hasn't gotten much attention this year. They might be only a one- or two-bid league this season. Sam Houston's looking at one of those spots. Abilene Christian has been just annoying, just like they were last year. That's a huge game. And then, what have you always say about don't let one loss become two? Yep. Sacramento State is at Northern Arizona. You know what Case Cookers can do when he's on his day. Listen, Northern Arizona... Right, it's going to be interesting, but Northern Arizona is coming off getting blasted by Eastern Washington. There you go. Eastern Washington always like, oh, wait. Oh, uh, uh, uh. Everybody scored it. Like, defensively, <laughs> they had a touchdown. Special teams had a touchdown, but everybody scored. You know what Eastern Washington has been the last couple weeks? That a kid who forgot they, you know, who slept in late and forgot they had an exam, and they're getting up at like 10 o'clock when the exam is from 9 to like 10.30. Right. So they're up at 10. They're like, wait a minute. No, no, no. I can, I can finish this in time. I can get in the playoffs. Sorry, Eastern Washington, you're done, but you're making things very interesting. How they the beat the breaks off Northern Arizona last weekend. Shout so, out to Eric Barry for for having a fantastic game. Yes, he and he's going to be a, he's going to be a guy that might be a pro prospect down the line in some league somewhere. Unsung games this week: Richmond at Villanova, huge game. North Dakota at Weber. We already talked about that one. Um, Illinois State at South Dakota State. That. Believe it or not, could be deciding whether or not Illinois State makes the playoffs or not. They have to be at least competitive in this ball game. I think they will be. UT Martin at Austin P, massive game, huge game. Winner of that game pretty much punches a ticket. I think. Central Arkansas hosting Southeastern Louisiana. Southeastern Louisiana is quietly just chugging along. 
with an with a big <laughs> win this season. So keep, don't don't sleep on them too much. And the best game this week, and we have to talk about it because it's week eleven, and there are two there are three undefeated teams left. There's going to be two at the end of this week: Princeton at Dartmouth at Yankee Stadium this week in the Ivy League, which will basically decide who will be the Ivy League champion this year. Going to be a huge crowd at Yankee Stadium. Going to be a massive game. Strength versus strength in this one. Yeah, it's going to be a real good game. I, I, I'm excited to see uh, how this this game between A&T and Morgan State plays out. Yeah. Because even I'm on the call, so I'm not predicting the game. But right. I like how Morgan is built in the trenches. Right. Their issue consistently has been quarterback play. Yeah. If the quarter quarterback play shows up that day, mm-hmm. it could be interesting in Baltimore. <laughs> if they if, have a they have again, they have a pro prospect on offense in Manashe Bailey. They have a pro prospect defensively, they have a multiple pro prospects defensively at linebacker and in the secondary. It can get interesting if they can get any production out of the pivot position. If Morgan State does what they did last year, remember they had a couple of games last year where they were like they did what now? <laughs> if they knock off A&T, of all the teams that knock off A&T, if it's Morgan State, forget about the MEAC team getting into the postseason because that's over. Now the question is, does Bethune-Cookman go to the Celebration Bowl? Which, I don't like, have they done that yet? Because as... No, it's, it's been A&T, A&T and NC Central. and Central and Grambling. So, A&T, Alcorn, Central, Grambling. Get, that's been it. See, I, I just get Bethune-Cookman taking on Grambling and just have the entire stadium is black and gold. Just play it that way. Listen, Bethune Cookman wore two weeks ago their throwback jerseys from uh, you know their their classic jerseys. Mm-hmm. They were phenomenal. <laughs> First of all, so I'm glad somebody brought it up. It's like who's in charge of the uniform budget at Bethune Cookman because they have minimum <laughs> two thousand variations of the uniform. But the, the FCS version of Oregon, exactly. But their but their vintage <laughs> uniforms that they wore two weeks ago, classic. They were outstanding. You know the three stripes, the you know yeah, the, the, yeah. the you know traditional college three stripes yeah, down yeah. the side on the sleeve, phenomenal. Let's hope we see that style in the Celebration Bowl. We'll have to see how the rest of the MEAC season goes because I'm done predicting that as well. I'm predicting <laughs> I'm done with prediction. I'm I'm predicting I am done with predictions. Yeah, no, the only one you could probably predict is the Pioneer. That's yeah, about it. Yeah, San it, Diego. It, it, watch San Diego goes on a three game losing streak and throw the whole thing away. Remember how we were all <laughs> in on Davidson earlier in the year? You were all in on Davidson. True. I you was were also in. all in on Dayton. And then I you were was. all in on Stetson. <laughs> no, you were all in on Stetson. <laughs> like, I was all in on, on Davidson. So, we, here's the thing, folks. We got, after this week, we're going to have two weeks left in the season. We might only have one ticket punched to the FCS playoffs with two weeks left. That's how competitive and how crazy this thing has been. It's been a glorious year in the FCS, and it's only going to get better and more dramatic with the last three weeks. Again, if you want to see what the committee's mind is going, and no, no, no cartoons of the little mouse and the wheel going mm. around in their heads because they're going to have a very difficult job this year. The FCS committee's top 10 will be revealed this Wednesday at the halftime of the Miami of Ohio versus Ohio game that is on ESPNU, I believe, um, at 8 p.m. So keep an eye on that one. And then the pairings eventually will be revealed on the 24th of November on ESPNU at 12.30 for the entire playoff uh, roster for all the teams, all the matchups. That's coming up in a few weeks' time. But right now, no one has any idea who's in those in those brackets, and you only have to go out, win your games, and earn that respect of the committee to go through and win these games. Emery, you got anything you want to plug? You know you're going to be on the call down in Baltimore. Yeah, and that game is going to be on ESPN 3 at 1 p.m. Eastern time. Let me double check just to make sure I'm not late for my game. 1 p.m. Eastern time on ESPN (laughs) 3, uh, Baltimore. But also, don't forget to follow Craig Haley on Twitter, at Craig Haley, at FCS underscore stats. Great job Craig does with FCS and all of the content that he produces at the Stats website. So, F- great job, Craig Haley. He was a good friend of the show. FC, FCS Stats and Craig Haley were just sending out 
incredible informational tweets uh, all throughout the Saturday yesterday. So if you want to keep up to what's what the hell is going on in the FCS world, those are two must-follows if you are on Twitter. And again, go to the FCS Stats website where they have all the box scores, all the stats, all the rosters, everything you will ever need to talk about FCS. And I'll be at the Monmouth North Alabama game this week down at the Jersey Shore. We'll see how uh, the Monmouth Hawks deal with success. Because all they talked about was Kennesaw. Now the question is, what do you do after Kennesaw? You know, it's like it's like BC and AD before Kennesaw, after Kennesaw. That's the question for Monmouth going forward. That'll do it for the Week 11 preview here on the FCS Opening Drive. Make sure to, to, to subscribe on iTunes and SoundCloud for Football Game Plan podcasts. And you can get all your football information there. Go to footballgameplan.com for all of your football needs. It's where football makes sense. And don't forget to check out our show's in the tri-state area normally on the game plus network we're going to take the week off this week but keep an eye on that and keep watching let us know what you want us to what you want to see both online in your headphones on your tvs we're always open to suggestions and we want to get better for emory hunt the czar of the playbook i'm david hasagan thanks for listening in